0: Thank you for tuning in to the latest message from Island Church, Dundalk. Let's pray. Father, we just uh, thank you for this time to fellowship together. Um, and I Thank you for the word that you've placed in my heart, Lord. I just pray your blessing on it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to talk to you this evening about uh, something that God put on my heart at, at a funeral that I was at recently, and it's the power of a life which is lived for Christ, or the power of a life in Christ which is lived for Christ. And uh, I, I'd, when I was asking God a few weeks ago, you know, Lord, what do you want me to minister on? Couldn't seem to get, and I felt like God said, "Be patient. I'll show you." So, sitting at the funeral service about a week ago, and um, um, as I listened to um, the, the various testimonies about this lady, this woman of God, who was an old friend of mine—not a close friend, but we we were in church together for years—and um, and I started to realize something, you know, over almost a 40-year period, this lady had lived her life for Christ. And, um, and I remember, uh, <clears throat> I remember um, her as a child. I was a younger child. I was probably seven or eight when I first remember Anne and her sister Loretta. They were maybe like four or five years older than us and uh we our our backyards from my granny's house and their parents' house were in in the same on the same street, so we used to we didn't play with each other because we were different ages, but we were where we used to seeing each other roll on twenty years or well maybe not twenty years oh well maybe ten fifteen years <clears throat> I had gone through college and uh I was back in my hometown, and I, a guy, a, a friend of mine brought me to a, a little prayer meeting in the house, and that was probably one of the first times I heard the gospel, and I received Christ. And who was in that group but this lady, Anne was her name, and her sister Loretta. And uh, <clears throat> so we kind of connected. She became one of the ladies, her and her sister. Two of the ladies in the church, and um, <clears throat> there was various things that they had gone through. Both of them, uh, as individuals, they had gone through uh, marriage that had broken down. They'd had children, and now there were two. These two ladies were two single moms, raising two kids each, and. Um, But as I sat there in the pew at this funeral uh, last week, I I started reflecting back on my memories of Anne's life. And when Anne got saved, there was something that really struck me. When I I remembered back, I remembered almost 40 years ago. Anne became very tenacious in her faith. and she she was a faithful lady, her and her sister, tenacious, faithful. They were always at the prayer meeting. They were mentored by a woman of God in my hometown in Ballinasloe. And they were were always at her side. And um, some years later I came to Dundalk And I think I can't remember the details, but some years not too long after that, they both came to Dundalk with their two kids each. And I remember through the years that they still had, both of them had that tenacious, faithful hearts. And, And yet, uh, yet there was difficulties. I'm going to take off my jacket here. They had both of them had difficulties in their life. That that problems. You know, when raising kids on your own is not easy. And uh, you know the, the, some of the kids were, were wayward and, and those problems there. But when I look back at at um, when I listened to some of her family and friends, and in particular, one of her grandchildren, uh, speaking about Anne's life and the impact of, of Nanny Ann or Grand, Granny Anne, um, and the impact that she had on his life. She was like a mom to him. Uh, in many situations, she was the one that picked them up from school, took them through their homework, fed them, uh, he described Nanny's house as a safe place. Moms, when you went into Granny's door, it was a safe place. Granny was a woman of God, she was a woman of prayer. Um, of course, she had become a Granny over the course of time. When I met her first, she was just a kid. And then when I met her at the first church I got saved in, she was probably in her mid-twenties, late-twenties. And, you know, all these years later, now she's a, she's. Raised her, her, her two daughters, and one of her daughters had, I think it was five or six kids. and granny basically helped her daughter raise those kids because her daughter wasn't always in a fit condition to do so. Um, and so <clears throat> what I realized about this woman was the <clears throat> because I could see back to the start of her life and um, and also was aware of some of her family background. There was lots of disadvantage. They weren't a wealthy home. Back in Ballinasloe, it wasn't a, they were a fairly poor family, a large family. There was lots of problems. So she didn't have a good start, but boy, did she have a good finish, you know? And, and I'm reminded of the scripture where Paul says, I've run the race, and there's therefore now a crown awaiting me. And when I I think of Anne, I I I thought, hold on, this is not just the ordinary lady that I knew back in Ballinasloe. This is a a woman of God. Um, And she's she's stood the test of time. She's walked with the Lord. And there's many, many qualities have developed in her life as she walked with the Lord. So that's kind of... um, Her life kind of um, sparked um, this whole thought for me personally. But so what happened with Anne? First, she received Christ. It started there, as it does for all of us. You receive Christ. But then what happens? The discipleship process starts. Now, what does the word disciple mean? Simply speaking, the word disciple means a pupil or a learner, or someone who takes what the, they've been taught by the teacher and sticks to it or it adheres to it, you know what that word adhere means to stick to it, they stick to what they've learned um, and they make that their rule of conduct. And. <clears throat> For all of us, without discipleship, there's no fruit. And so, yes, you're born again. But Jesus, you know, when he, when he was in the Great Commission in, uh, where was it, Matthew chapter 16, is it Matthew chapter 16, you know, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And then he said, make, uh, make disciples of all nations. It's disciples that Jesus is looking for. One who takes what God has said and applies it through their life and makes it their rule of conduct. That's what a disciple is. God is looking for disciples. Disciples bear fruit, not converts. A convert needs to go through the process of being a, becoming a disciple. <clears throat> Sorry, that was Matthew 28, verse 19. Um, if you look in Acts chapter 14 verse 21 just talk about discipleship for a couple of seconds and Paul and Barnabas are preaching the gospel Um, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, um, Iconium and Antioch, strength, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. But what I want you to see here is that they, they preached the gospel in the city and made many disciples. How did they make many disciples? By, te- by teaching them. They, they spent time teaching them. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> John chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. <clears throat> How do you become a disciple? Abiding in the word. What does that mean? Living in it. This is is where your life, how you live your life comes from. You know, one of the things that has struck me in the last few years, in all the epistles in the New Testament, all of them, all of them admonish the church on how to live in every area of their life. Marriage, business, masters, you know, bosses, workers, wives, husbands, children. We're all admonished in the epistles and actually throughout the scripture, but the epistles are full of instruction to us as Christians how to live our life. And there are instructions in, this, in, in helping us to become disciples because one of the things, every time you hear the word of God, You have a a choice whether to apply apply that to your life or not. And as you endeavor to apply those things to your life, you become more of a disciple. And when you become more of a disciple, God is glorified. There's fruit, uh, godly fruit from your life. Um, So Jesus said, um, if you continue sorry, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. I've written here, a disciple puts restrictions on his own life from within. You know, when, when the word of God teaches you something, You, you know, it, it, it can either be a green light to go for something or it also can be a red light to restrict you from, for example, if, I mean, there was one time where where, whether, where I didn't really care whether I paid taxes or, taxes or not until I read in the scripture that a believer pays his taxes. And I said, right. So I put restrictions on my own the way I was going to do things, and I started to do things God's way, I, I applied the word of God to that area of my life. What, what was I doing? I was becoming more of a disciple. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples. So if you're not abiding, if you're not living, well, what does it mean to live in it? Well, just to apply what it, what it says to you. Apply it to your life. You know, continue in it, apply it. Be a doer of it. Not just a hearer only, be a doer of it. If the, teacher, if the teacher of the Holy Ghost teaches you, if the pastor stands up here and teaches you the Word of God, then apply it to your life. Be a doer of it. And then you'll be his disciples. <clears throat> um, look in, in John chapter 15 and verse 7. <clears throat> If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. But verse 8 is what I want you to see. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Bearing fruit is the evidence that you're a disciple. And bearing fruit only happens when you abide in the word. Or when you abide in Jesus and his words abide in you. Amen. It's not possible to be a disciple unless you're bearing fruit. And it's not possible to bear fruit unless you're, you're abiding in the word and being a doer of the word. And you're applying it to your life. But uh, let's see. I have another one. Uh, John chapter thirteen, and verse five. So Jesus is here with the twelve disciples. Um, verse five says, "After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash." The disciples' feet and wipe them with a towel. Excuse me. So these guys are already disciples. They're already, he's already teaching them things, uh, the twelve. But he's going to teach them something else here. And um, he starts to wash their feet. And Peter has a problem with it. Um, Peter said to him in verse 8, You shall never wash my feet, Jesus answered him. If I do not wash you, you have no part in me. Um, And then down in verse 12, um, when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. So this is this is discipleship here. Jesus has washed their feet, and he's he's shown them guys. This is this is the way I want you to be to each other. You know, serve one another. Actually, the the person who washed feet in those days was the most subservient servant, and and Jesus be, took on that 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 position of the lowest of the servants and washed the the feet. That's why Peter probably had a problem with it. You know, Lord, you know, bring the servant in here. He'll wash our feet. But you're washing our feet. And Jesus was teaching them a lesson. This is discipleship. Um, And then if you go over to... um, Verse 34 and 35, a new new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one for another. So Jesus was was teaching them about loving one another here. And... uh, and love was an evidence that, of discipleship. Amen. If you look at uh, Acts chapter 9, there was a lady disciple called Dorcas. In verse 36, uh, at Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. Doesn't say a lot more about her, only down in, well, let's see, well, verse 37, she died. She got sick and she died. Uh, verse 39 says that she made tunics and, gar- and garments. Uh, but if you look at verse 40, uh, G- uh, Peter came uh, to pray for her. But Peter put all these, uh, the, the mourners put them out, And knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, uh, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and lifted her up, and when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon and Tanner. It's interesting to me that When the people in Joppa heard that Dorcas had been raised from the dead, that many, many believed in the Lord, she must have been a woman that was well known. You know, it says she, she did... Um, she was full of good works and charitable deeds. You know, this is a, this is a, a woman of God. Uh, it's, it says that she was a disciple. That means she was a woman of the word. She applied that word to her life, and she lived it. And that's where her charitable deeds and her good works came from. And um, I I think that because of her influence in that town, when the miracle in her life happened, it had an influence um, on the whole town. And many believed. Many probably came to Christ as a result. Anyway, just a thought. Um, Just go over to Second Timothy, Chapter Four, verse seven. So going back to talking to my my friend, Anne. you know, at the end of her life, um, there was a crown laid up for her, just like Paul said. I just want to just share that scripture. Second Timothy chapter four and verse seven and eight. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will give to me on that day, not only to me, but all but also to all who have loved his appearing. Amen. Anne got her crown. Amen. Amen. You know, her discipleship brought her to the end of her life she she ran her race she finished her course she kept the faith and there was lots of fruit in her life her charitable deeds like Dorcas her all her good works uh, she bore much godly fruit and even though you know and one of the things that strikes me the most ordinary of beginnings you know she she wasn't the daughter of a king or some wealthy person. Um, and yet, God could take just an ordinary girl from the middle of nowhere back in Ballinasloe and, you know, touch her heart, um, and, and through discipleship and mentoring and, and a life of, of basically applying the word of God to her life. Um, it produced such tenacity and fervency and godliness. Um, I remember talking to uh, uh, Pastor Peter's wife over in Emmanuel there, and she said, you know, of all the people in the church, she said, John, not not many people will come to the pastor and say, how are you doing, you know? But Anne was one of those people. You know, there was a lot of qualities in this woman. Um, She'd come to the pastor and say, How is it? how's things? And if the pastor confided some uh, wee issue, she'd be away praying about that. And she'd come back a month later, well, how's things now? Pastor, is is, is ever, because I've been praying about that, is everyone okay? You know, that was the qualities of this woman. She had humble beginnings, but through a life, um, walking with God, consecrating her life, growing in the word, you know, she wasn't a casual Christian. She was serious about the Lord. She was serious about her walk with him. She, probably because of the, some of the pain of her, of her beginning, you know, it probably produced a lot of, of that fervency. But it was there. It was in her. And it was in her whole life. Um, and I know that, And like, I, I can't talk about, but I know there was lots of, problems over the years, lots of challenges. You know, things weren't perfect. But what was what was consistent was her 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 heart of faith, her love for the Lord. Um, and it's a beautiful thing and, and you know it made me think of, of the power of a life that's lived for Christ. You know. You live it. That's a that's with purpose. She lived her life for Christ. It wasn't existed as a Christian. No, she lived her life to serve the Lord. And, uh, you know, when I, when, I meet, when I see people like this, it provokes me to be the same. You know, Jesus didn't uh, do a half, half-baked salvation. He laid down his life. He went to the cross for us, you know. It it deserves us to reciprocate back to him a a complete, uh, you know, or give him our whole life completely, and uh, to serve him with our whole hearts. Um, I'm trying to do it your way, Melvin. Have a new, my new method of keeping notes. (laughs) What was the keys to Anne's life in Christ? Well, she was a new creature in Christ. She became a disciple. She lived a faithful life. She endured hardships by daily trusting in the Lord. She had to daily trust the Lord to get through certain things. She was diligent. She had a life filled with faith, simple trust in God. She was a church person. She never missed church. She never missed I don't think she was an educated girl, but boy, she was educated in the word because she sat under the word. You know, she sat under it. Um, She listened to the teachings. She read her Bible. She stayed strong in the Lord. She was a woman of the word, woman of prayer, woman of the church. Um, She had a life of consecration. She walked with the Lord every day. He worked hard at being a good steward of God and his ambassador as his, his representative. representative. <laughs> she was a woman of dignity. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the guys said Anne would never go to the front door to get letters from the postman unless she had her lipstick on. <laughs> she presented herself well. But the attitude behind that is what, what I admire. She knew that she was an ambassador for Christ. She was a representative of God. And she going to present herself in the world as his servant. Remember, we all have earthen vessels. They're not. Some of us are really good looking. But not all of us are really good looking. You know, and as we get older, those things sag and wrinkles and, you know. But here's the, here's the deal, guys. Um. As the scripture says that, that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. You know, if we didn't have this earthly body, we couldn't be here. Sure. If we had our glorified body right now, we couldn't be here. God has left us in this body. So it's not perfect. It's subject to all kinds of things. Yeah. Um, and yet God has put Christ in us, you know, in this temple, your, your temple. And as unique as it is. And you may sometimes, you know, I listen to my, my youngest daughter. Sometimes I have to encourage her. You know, maybe she gets different things going on and she doesn't think she's as attractive looking and, as somebody else and all this kind of stuff. Girls go through all that stuff. Well, fellas do too. But God has chosen to put his spirit in us as we are. He's chosen to use, look at me standing here. Who am I? I am nobody, you know. I'm a, from the west of Ireland. I speak with a funny accent, you know. Uh, do you understand? We sometimes we sometimes nullify ourselves because of the our accent, our background, the color of our skin, our height, because we're too high or too small or too fat or too skinny. You know, we sometimes shrug ourselves off and, we, and our self image is bad. Yeah. But when you look in the word of God you need to see yourself as God sees you. Amen. Because God placed his spirit in you. And also he put his anointings in you. He also gave us the ability to win people to Christ. That is amazing. Through just little acts of obedience or yielding to the spirit of God or applying the word of God maybe being kind to our neighbors or going to visit somebody in the hospital god can do supernatural things in the life and the heart of another person through this earthen vessel that's filled with the spirit of god so don't don't rubbish yourself because of your background or where you come from or you know my family didn't have this or i was from a single parent family or my parents were divorced or Look, we, there's a million reasons why we could rubbish ourselves and say, I'm not as good as he is or she is. But it's a lie. From the moment you receive Christ, think about what has happened. Christ came to live in, inside in you. You're not, you're, from then on, you're nothing ordinary about you. You're a supernatural being in the universe, filled with the Spirit of God. <clears throat> Anne knew that my friend Anne knew that. Yeah. Yeah. She knew who she was, and, and she didn't measure herself by the, the wealth of her family or the beauty of her skin. She measured herself by who was on the inside. Yeah. She knew she was a nurse, had a earthen vessel with all its frailties and its weaknesses and its. You know, we all know things about our physical, man. That's not perfect. But she she didn't live out of that self-image. She lived out of the self-image of who she was in Christ. And I love that. And people that, that learn to do that have a life of victory, a life of breakthrough. They have a life of success. They have a life of influence. They influence those around them. They encourage people. They serve God, they obey God, they, they do great exploits. If you know who you really are, by looking at yourself in the mirror, in this mirror, look at yourself in the mirror and know who you really are, then you become that type of a person. Our, our image, our, our self image is so important. Yes, I agree. And you need to get the right self image from God's perspective. <clears throat> okay. So how do I, how do I live for Christ? Well, stay close to God. Stay close to the church where he placed you. You know, it says in, is it Corinthians or Romans? <clears throat> God sets the members in the body as he pleased. He set you in the body. Yeah. In Acts chapter 2, I think it is, when, when those people got saved, where did he put God? Put them in the church. So stay close to the, to the church that God placed you in. Amen. <clears throat> How does how, how do I live for Christ? Stay close to His Word. In Second Timothy two fifteen, it's, uh, it says, "Study to show yourself approved unto God." A workman that doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word, rightly dissecting it, rightly interpreting it. Study. A casual visit to the Word is not good enough you'll get things wrong. You'll mix things up. If I was studying to be a, a, a brain surgeon, but I was real casual about my studies, and then, and, and then you had problems with your brain, would you let me in, operate on you? I don't think so. <clears throat> if, if we have just a casual attitude towards the Word of God, we'll, we'll not... Um, be great as disciples and will not bear much fruit. Remember, um, evidence of discipleship is, is fruit, good fruit. How do we live for Christ? Stay close to his word. Be a disciple. Be a doer of the word, James One twenty-three. that's what a disciple is anyway. Obey the leading of the Holy Spirit. Have a heart that's yielded to the Holy Spirit. He's every prompting. He's every correction. When he draws you or leads you or constrains you, don't be stubborn or unyielding. Abide in his love. Have sweet fellowship with him. And I talked about being just get, be comfortable with the fact that you have an earthen vessel that's not a glorified body, but it's. A, I talked about that. But let me say a few more things about that. <clears throat> so, so yeah, some of us, we just think, well, we're just ordinary folk, but we're full of God. And we talk about, you know, well, I'm from this nation or I have speak this language or my color is the wrong color or my accent is, is a funny accent. I have ethnic customs, family customs, my looks, my giftings, my unique personality. But all these things, God wants to use them. All these unusual things about you, there's nobody else has them like you have them. And God doesn't see them as a disadvantage. He wants to live his life through all those uh, qualities that, that are in you, those characteristics, your funny accent, the way you giggle sometimes, whatever those quirky things are about you. You're always telling jokes or something. But God wants to sanctify those things and use them. So be comfortable in your own skin. I think that's important. I learned that years ago um, from a man called Pastor Walter Hallam. Talked about this in Bible school. And uh, it was one of the reasons why, from then on, I stopped judging myself based on my background. I'm a king's kid. So my background is irrelevant. If people laugh at my accent, who cares? They're wrong. God loves me. God uses me all the time. I can speak to people, encourage people, sit, have a coffee with somebody, and the Spirit of God has just encouraged that person. And I know he has. I said, God, you use me to do that. That's amazing. Be comfortable in your own skin, knowing that Christ dwells in us and he's at work in us. Anne, my friend, was an ordinary girl, but the glory of Christ was manifested in and through her. We are ministers of God. We carry the gospel. I mean, what a privilege. We carry the gospel, the message of his love and salvation. But we do this through our unique self, which is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Wanna talk a little bit about personal sanctification and development. <clears throat> uh what time is it, Joel? How long have we got? Ten minutes, five minutes. It, Not half an hour? No, half 12, 10. Ten minutes? You can go for two more <laughs> You just stop me when I go too long. All right. Romans chapter 13, verse 14. Uh, Go back to verse 12. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. And let us put on the armour of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen to this and make no provision for the flesh to fulfil its lust. Putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, involves putting off some stuff as well. Um, And he says, make no provision for the flesh. You know, if you want to be a disciple of Christ, um, there's going to be areas in your life that have to be consecrated. And it starts by putting on Christ. When you put on who you are in Christ um, and walk as he walked, We need to think like him. We need to act like him. We need to love like him. We need to be holy like he is. Uh, Colossians chapter 3. And we'll start with verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, were we raised with Christ? Yes, we were. Seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your minds, set your mind on things above and not the things of this earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Set your mind on things above and not the things of this earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Listen to verse 5. There, therefore, put to death your members. You know, there's, there's no place for certain things in a life that's in Christ. Verse 4 again, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore, because of that, put to death your members which are on the earth. And he names them, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, or greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and you've put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So all the the garbage stuff, we're to put off that because that's part of the old man. And the judgment of God is coming on the world because of that stuff. But that's not who we are. That stuff shouldn't even be named amongst us. Put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge. Where does the knowledge come from? The word of God. Without being discipled by the word of God, It's not possible to put on the new man. So this is something that we've got to do. We've got to put on the new man. Um, I was thinking about this earlier, and I was thinking we sometimes use that term, put on, in the world to sort of put on an act. And that's not what this is. When When this says put on, it says, clothe yourself. That's what it's talking about clothe yourself with with the truth about who you are. So it's important for us to see ourselves in the correct way. When we see ourselves in the correct way, we we discard all that rubbish out of our lives. It's no place in me. Look in verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, excuse me, meekness, long suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, excuse me, so you must do. And above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the, Lord, to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father. <clears throat> you know, we could stop at any one of those things and talk for an hour about it. Isn't it amazing that, that, that the council that's in the word of God. It's so rich. You could study and study just that paragraph. That I have to read. And the New Testament. The epistles of, of Paul and Peter. Are full of that type of counsel. It's full of it. You need to read it. Continually read it and study it. And, and then apply it to your life. When you start to do that. There's, there's great fruit comes from your life. The Bible says. If a man will purge himself. In other words, take out the junk, then he'll be fit for the master's use. You know, when we take the word of God and apply it to our lives, stuff has to go. But, but the thing about it is, when we do that, the, the, the spirit of God is, a, is able to, to do things through our life that he couldn't do beforehand. <clears throat> You know, as we read these things, bit by bit, bit by bit, you can start to apply uh, the Word of God. It's, it's not an overnight thing. Um, and that's why, you know, when I, look at, when I looked at Anne, almost 40 years walking with the Lord, I could see that her consistency from her, her conversion to her going home to be with the Lord. The consistency of her life caused much fruit from her life, and God was glorified by that. And actually, just while I'm on that, you know, what, what, so one of the things that really struck me was the impact she had on her own family. She had great impact on her grandchildren. And anybody associated with her family you know, boyfriends or spouses or different ones. Uh, they were all impacted by, by Anne's life, by her walk with God. And it impacted them. She's gone, but the impact is still there. They, they're gonna live on uh, with many of the lessons they've learned from Granny not just her grandchildren but also friends and and different ones people in the church she she did apply the word of god to herself she lived it and uh, she was continually grown in the lord and It goes on in verse 18 to talk to wives. You know, wives, submit to your own husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, don't provoke your children. Bondservants obey. The counsel of, of, of uh, this chapter is, is to all these different types of people. Uh, there's counsel in the word for, for everybody and for every situation. Um, if you look in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, I'm nearly finished. I hope you got something from this, guys. It's not real in-depth or anything, but... Verse 5, chapter 12. Um, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not uh, chasten? You know, chastening is also part of your development. Be temperate, be temperate and self-disciplined. It's an, also another part of your development. If you look in First Corinthians chapter nine. <clears throat> verse 25 go back to 24 do you know that those who run in a race all run but one receives the prize run in such a way that you may obtain it and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things now they who obtain a perishable crown sorry now they do it to obtain a perishable crown but we an imperishable crown therefore I run thus not with uncertainty thus I fight not as one who beats the air but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection lest when I have preached to others I myself should become disqualified or unfit or rejected. So he talks there in verse 25 about being temperate. Um, and this is part of our, our personal sanctification and development, being a temperate person. I'll uh, just tell you what temperate means. Temperate means to exercise self-restraint in your diet or in chastity to be self-controlled, to exhibit self-government, self-govern- to be strong in a thing or masterful, temperate. It's something that we need to develop in our lives. Self-control, <coughs> self, uh, self-restraint. Um, and last one, Well, actually, two more. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. And these are the kind of things I believe my friend Anne had developed in her life. She had developed personal sanctification and, and, you know, temperance. She endured the chastening of the Lord. She obeyed the word. She yielded to the Holy Spirit. She put on Christ. She put off the garbage. She put on Christ and made no provision for the flesh. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1. There's another one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and as sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What I want you to see there is lay aside every weight and every sin which so easily ensnares us. And run with endurance the race set before you. How do you do that? Keep your eyes on Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Did you get anything from that, guys? Yeah. Anyway, let's pray. Father, I just thank you for uh, the power of a life. Live for Christ. And let us, Lord, be like our sister Anne, that we live for you with our whole hearts and realise uh, the fruit that can be, that can come from our lives when we do that, when we live for you with our whole heart. In Jesus' name. Amen. We are so glad you could join us for our latest message. We are located right in the centre of the town and we would love for you to call in and see us. Details are on our website at islandchurchdundalk.ie